stories told of an office manager of a 10-story office building, and uh, they were having some problems one day. Uh, as a matter of fact, their elevator, when going up, stopped between the third and the fourth floor, and there was a passenger on the elevator, so the manager, obviously very concerned, and he pries open the, the, the floor three, and he's able to look up underneath and kind of talk to the person that he was concerned that maybe was a bit afraid, or maybe claustrophobia. So he calls up to the person in the, in the, in the elevator and says, hey, listen, don't panic, don't panic. We've called the elevator repairman. And there was a small pause in the elevator. And then the response back said, I am the elevator repairman. <laughs> there are some situations in which we cannot save ourselves. That we need someone outside to come and act upon us to save us because we can't save ourselves. Or like an old time preacher once said, if a man is drowning, he cannot save himself by grabbing himself by the hair and lifting up. We need someone on the outside coming in to save us because we cannot save ourselves. And Lot, in the story today that's going to recorded in Genesis 19, he understands that. He's not in a position to save himself. He needs an outside force. He needs something outside coming in to save him from the coming disaster that's going to fall on Sodom and Gomorrah and all of the surrounding cities of the plain. He needs someone outside to come to him and help him. We see in Genesis 19, through his grace and mercy, God saves people, delivering them from his wrath, his judgment, his destruction. And you know, you kind of ask yourself the question, why would God care so much about Lot? I mean, if we know the story, think about it. He's, he's, he's related to Abraham's nephew. And when it's time, Abraham goes, okay, Lot, we got too many, uh, too many uh, uh, cattle and, 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 and livestock. We need to divide. We did, the land can't hold it all. So you get to choose Lot. And Lot chooses the well-watered plain of Sodom and the surrounding areas. It seems to be a very selfish choice. Abraham lets him make the choice and he moves down and later we were told he actually moves his tent inside of Sodom. And you think, he knows what's going on in the city. Why in the world would God care to save this guy named Lot from all of his troubles? Why not just leave him there and let him suffer the wrath that's going to come on the city and the surrounding area? Why would God care about Lot so much? I think the text is going to tell us. So chapter 18 is when three people come to Abraham and they have, and Abraham sees them and recognizes them as very distinguished guests. He makes a meal for them. He's talking with them. When it was all over with, two of them get up and leave and start heading towards Sodom and Gomorrah. One stays with Abraham and Abraham has a conversation with that one. And we find out that person with Abraham is the Lord. And the two sent down to Sodom are angels going down to take care of what's going to happen in Sodom. So that's where in the storyline. So look with me in verse number one of chapter 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening. So think about the time frame, because we're going to see a lot of evening, morning. We're going to see a lot of stuff like that. So think of the time frame. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the, to the earth and said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. It was typical for, the, for, uh, for travelers to stay in the city square. That was normal. So he's asking them, don't stay there. 
And they said, no, 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 we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. He knew the city. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread. And they ate. Unleavened bread is simply something you can make quickly. But before they lay down, the men of the city, men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, you got to catch that. All the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, who was inside, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. We want to have a barbecue. We want to exchange stories. We want to, we want to know them. Thank you. We'll get to that point in just a second. Hold on. All right. So bring them out that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance shut the door after him. So Lot leaves his house, his place of security, goes out to meet them and says, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Now, again, as a parent, we can talk, yeah, we can talk about this. We can talk about this. Okay. It's, it, it's an important part of the story, but yeah, it's just kind of, yeah. Okay. You do to them as you're pleased, your own children. Only do nothing to these men. That's the law of hospitality. Very strong in those days. For they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. That's the people in the city. All the men of the city. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn. That's Lot. And he has become the judge. In other words, who do you think you are, Lot? Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Well, that's pretty bad. Then they pressed hard against the man lot and, and drew near to break the door down. In other words, they're pushing him back towards the door of his house. But the men, the two angels reached out their hands and brought lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness. The men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. You would think that you're struck with blindness. It's, hey guys, it's time to go home here. This isn't working out as we planned. Instead, they're still groping for the door of Lot's house. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against his people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So judgment is coming to Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. A great warning. Hey, judgment's coming. Get up and get out of here. But he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. Hey, that's a good joke, Lot. Ah, that's funny. Yeah, God is not going to destroy this place. We are God. We are in control of everything. God's not going to destroy it. So they thought he was jesting. So here we see that these two angels went down to Sodom to rescue Lot from the destruction that's coming. But the Lord stayed and talked to Abraham. Chapter 18, verse 22 in Genesis, we read this. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stu uh, still stood before the Lord. And that's when they had the discussion all the way down to 10 righteous. Would you save it for 10 righteous? So the two angels go, the Lord stays with Ab Abraham and they're having a discussion. 
So Lot, we're told, sat in the city gate, which tells us he was a respected member of society. Typically, that's where the elders sat, in the city gate. So he, he had risen to a, a level of, they actually said, is he the judge? So maybe he was even a judge in the city. Some respected level he had reached in the city. So Lot says, don't stay in the, in the city square. I know the city. Come to the safety of my house. Remain in my house so that you will be safe. So in Lot's house was safety, but outside the house, the Sodomites raged with lustful appetites. The men tell us exactly what they want. And, and when I made a joke about a barbecue and swapping stories, that's not what they were looking for. They weren't looking for a party. That's for, well, it kind of was a party, but it was certainly a wicked party for sure. So they says, bring them out that we may know them. Now that's a particular term. Some of your translations may have translated it differently, but that to word know is a particular term. It doesn't mean that I just want to know you. I don't know information about you. It's much deeper than that. It has the idea of sexual intimacy. How do you know that? Well, let me show you. Genesis chapter four, verse one. Now, Adam knew, that's the word. It happens to be past tense as a verb, but it's the same word. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Same word means sexual intercourse, sexual relations. Also in the same chapter, we just read verse eight. Verse eight says, behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. They were, they were virgins. Same word has the idea of sexual intimacy, sexual intercourse. So the men of the city were crying out, bring these two new fresh ones so we can have sexual intercourse with them. We have to get the story. Now, we've probably heard it. So it's not really shocking to you. We know the story well, but that's what's going on. And what's worse, it says men from every sector of the city came, young and old. That says now that this practice of homosexuality was a generational issue. It wasn't just with the adult. It was a generational issue where they passed it on down to all of their generations. How bad was Sodom? Genesis 13 and 18. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked Great sinners against the Lord. Chapter 18. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. So this idea of the practice of homosexuality. And you say, well, you know, it's not really that big of a thing, is it? Isn't it just like an alternative lifestyle? I mean, oh, come on. I mean, they love each other. Now, I'm not mocking. I mean, that's all the things we hear. They love each other. It's an alternative lifestyle. Why is it so wrong? Or is it wrong? Paul in the book of Romans said specifically to us that God in his creation created an order in his universe. He created the male and female and he created an order in their universe. And the order is the best for mankind. Now we can get out of order because we do it all the time. But the best for mankind is to remain in this particular order that God has made for us, for human beings. In Romans 1, we see some of this. We see that all homosexual practice is contrary to God's established order. Romans 1. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. That's the clue right there. That's the clue. They're no longer worshiping the creator. They're worshiping the creature. It's creature worship, self-worship, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to, nation, to nature. And this, again, that's natural order. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. 
men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind, an irrational mind. They are no longer rational. You can't, ra- you can't reason with them. They're irrational. A debased mind to do what, not, what ought not to be done. So we see that this practice of homosexuality is the, is the worship of the creature and not the worship of the creator. It's the creature saying, I get to determine what is good. It's the creature saying, I get to order my life after my will. It's a creature saying, I get to create reality with my words. I identify as. I create reality with my words. It's self-worship is what it is. Actually, it was extremely an abomination to God. So much so, he actually put a death penalty on it on the Old Testament law, Leviticus 20. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Now, let me say right now, I am not calling for the death of homosexuality. I'm not calling for that. I'm not saying that whatsoever. This is a law that God put in for the nation of Israel to manage it, to keep the order that was there. I am not calling for the death of people who practice homosexuality. I'm saying that you're outside the natural order. There is an order in this universe and you've gone outside of the order. It is unnatural what you are doing because God has made a natural order. Even the New Testament talks about this. First Corinthians six, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. So we have to understand that there is a God's, is serious about this. It's not just some alternative lifestyle. We have to say, no, God has created a natural order. And these men went outside of the natural order. They attacked Lot verbally and they physically attacked Lot. And really what we're talking about here is a proposed homosexual gang rape. That's what we're, we have to paint the picture right. But listen to Lot knowing what he knows about the men of the city, knowing, I mean, can you not feel the tension in the air right here? Knowing what he knows, the safest thing he could have been, he could have done was to stay inside of his house, but he didn't. He went out of his house to talk to the men of the city. He left the safety of his home and went out to the hostile area to beg them not to do what they were planning on doing. Lot is a man of courage. He's a man of courage. He goes out to the mob to dissuade them from doing what they were doing. He could have just easily stayed in his own home where safety was. But no, he's a man of courage. He goes out to warn them, don't do this. He is a man of courage, but he is also a child of his age. What I mean is the law of hospitality was very strong in so much that he was willing to jeopardize his own daughters to make sure the men were protected. He was a child of his age. You and I would not do that. We know that. We would not do that. But in that day, it was very important. Hospitality, extremely important. He was willing to let his children be harmed to protect the men who came into the city. The shut door behind Lot became the boundary between the innocent inside and the wicked outside. Became a safe place inside the house. The shut door. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. The door was shut. 
But afterward, other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. The door then becomes the boundary between those who are safe and, and saved and those who are outside and wicked. And then they're, the, the men are, uh, they're, they're given blindness. You would think that a divine judgment would change the course of their actions. It does not. It does not. They're still groping for the door to get to the men. You would think divine judgment would change the course of action, but it does not. And Lot is encouraged to take as many with him as possible before the judgment of God fell on the city. So he goes out to tell his sons-in-law that are going to marry his daughters, come on, come with me. Destruction is coming. Come on. Now listen, he didn't need 14 points and to reason with them. Here, point number one, God's going to destroy. Point number two, in other words, he just had to say, hey, destruction is coming. You got to leave the city. You got to go. This is really important. And his sons-in-law looked at him and said, ah, you're funny. You're funny, Lot. Yeah, right. No, that's not going to happen. And we're not going. We're not leaving. So the angels now tell Lot, it's time to go. Look at verses 15 through 22. As morning dawns, okay, now we were the evening. Now morning has come. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. I don't get that. He lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him by grabbing him and pulling him out. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley except to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills. I got a better plan. Hey, check out my plan, two angels. That's basically what he's saying. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight and you've shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. And he said to him, behold, I grant you this favor also that I will not overthrow the city of which you had spoken. That city was part of the cities to be destroyed when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Zoar, I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar, which means little, little. So here we have mourning time has come. Lot is warned of the impending judgment, and he's told, take your daughters and your wife and go. Don't stop. Flee. Go as fast as you can. And Lot is encouraged to take everyone with him. And the angels announce judgments now here. It's judgment on the city of Sodom. Actually, Ezekiel talks about the character and the essence of Sodom. Ezekiel 16, he, sold, he said, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride. Daughters would be the surrounding cities of, around her. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease. That sounds just like America. Think about it. Excess of food, prosperous ease, pride, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. So I removed them when I saw it. That's the character of the city. 
So Lot's reluctance to leave Sodom hinders the completion of the angel's mission. They can't destroy till he's safe. Did you see the picture? They can't begin the work until he's actually safe in Zoar. Then they can bring the judgment. So God is going to spare him from the judgment by rescuing him and taking him to this place of safety. And the angel's use of force grabs him. Didn't say, come on, let's go. go." He grabs him. And that, that use of force is actually an act of mercy on God's part. Seems very violent that he would grab them and pull them out of the city, but it's an act of mercy on God's part. And Lot's told to escape for his life. Run, run, and others should run too because destruction is coming. Run as fast as you can. It just reminds me of a story of two natural gas uh, uh, repairmen were repairing or checking natural gas meters on a street. So they parked on the, on the end of the alleyway and there was a senior technician and a trainee with him. And so they worked their way down the alleyway to the last house. And while they were looking at the meter at the last house, there was an elderly woman looking out of her window, watching them read the meter. So when they're all done reading the meter, the old one, the, the senior technician, turns to the young guy and said, I bet I can beat you back to the van. And the young one goes, you're on, old man. No way, you're not going to beat me. So they take off running. And they're running as fast as they can back to the van, huffing and puffing. And when they get back to the van, they're huffing and puffing, but they turn and the last lady that they saw looking out at the window was running as fast as she can behind them. <laughs> and they said, what are you doing? And she said, listen, when I see two gas men running as fast and hard as you were, I figure I better run too. <laughs> that was Gamora and saw They should have run too. They should have looked a lot and ran right along with him, but they didn't care. Zoar was that member of the wicked cities, but it was spared because of the intercession of Lot. Lot interceded for the city and God spared it. He interceded and God spared it. Now God brings judgment. Look at verses 23 to 26. The sun had risen on the earth. So, okay, now, we, now we've got morning. The sun is up now. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Very interesting verse. Check the wording out in verse 24. Very interesting. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities but what grew out of, uh, and what grew out of the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now we've heard the story. We know what happens here. But I like verse number 24. Notice that the Lord Yahweh from the earth calls the Lord Yahweh out of heaven to rain fire on the earth. It's a very interesting statement. The Lord on the earth calls the Lord out of heaven to rain fire. So Yahweh, most likely, text doesn't say, but most likely the one interacting with Adam was a pre-incarnate son of God. For he is the divine communication between God and man. Likely it was him. So we see the pre-incarnate son on the earth and the father in heaven and they're the same, Yahweh, God Almighty. So by disobeying the God-given command, Lot's wife forfeited her God-offered salvation. She was offered it. She said, I don't want it. She turns around and looks back. In looking back, she identified herself with that damned city, the city that was coming under God's destruction. But apparently Sodom was in her. And we don't know, actually we're not told, uh, we don't have any reference of Lot having a wife prior to, to Sodom. And he may have, because when he was taken captive, Abraham rescued him and they brought everyone back. And it could have been that there was a wife associated with that. Or it could have been she, his wife, was a Sodomite. She could be an inhabitant of the city. We don't know for sure. The text doesn't really say to us one way or the other. 
The result of the hesitancy of Lot's wife was that she inclu- was included in the, ri- in the judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah. She perished. She perished. A God-given salvation was offered to her and she perished. She would not follow it. So now Abraham, he wants to see what's happened here. What's going on here? What devastation has taken place? Look at 27 through 29. And Abraham went early in the morning, remember the sun had already risen, to the place where he had stood before the Lord, where God and him were talking before when he talked about down to the 10 righteous. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. So God sends angels to rescue Lot before the judgment came. The destroyed area that we're talking about here probably lies under the south end of the Dead Sea. The south end of the Dead Sea is probably where it's located at today. Gordon Winheim wrote, here the overthrow of the cities, their inhabitants, and the vegetation is highlighted. Before this destruction, all the plain was well watered like the garden of the Lord and the land of Egypt, chapter 13, verse 10. Genesis implies that the present desolate aspect of the Dead Sea plain goes back to this act of divine judgment. It was lush and green when Lot went down to Sodom. Now it's destroyed and barren. So there weren't 10 righteous in Sodom. There was only one righteous person in Sodom. There weren't 10 righteous people in Sodom. Nevertheless, God extends his mercy for the sake of Abraham, beyond what Abraham asked, by saving Lot. There weren't 10 righteous. There was just one righteous, only one person. Only Lot was righteous. And you're going, Lot was righteous? I mean, it seemed like he was afraid. He was a coward. He was willing to sacrifice his own children. He lingered when told, how could Lot be a righteous person? Well, that's because the Bible tells us he is. Second Peter chapter two. I wouldn't have said that. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul three times over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. The only reason why we know Lot was righteous is because the Bible tells us a lot was righteous. And here we see that Abraham's prayer for the 10 righteous, Abraham's prayer leads to the salvation of Lot, even though there weren't 10 righteous, just one in the city. So God had grace and mercy on Lot for Abraham's sake. Did you catch that? So that it was when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham. He remembered Abraham. So for, for Abraham's sake, God had mercy on Lot. God, it's so good to rescue those before the judgment comes. We talked about last week that judgment has come to America. We're in the process of judgment right now. And you think it's bad now? Unless we repent as a nation, it's only going to get worse. God's judgment is coming. It will only intensify if we do not repent as national repentance as a nation. So what are we going to do? We talked about God's judgment coming. So, so what are we going to do? Are we, are we just going to go down and stay, and stay in the basement? Are we just going to bury our heads in the sand? Are we just going to stay in the house where it's safe? 
What are we supposed to do as believers knowing that God's righteous judgment is coming upon our nation? What should you and I do? Well, the first thing is, of course, we need to beg God for mercy for our nation. Very first thing, beg God for mercy. He has, he has no obligation to, to, to save us. We need to beg God for mercy that he will spare our nation. But there's more. There's more that you and I can do. The text clearly says that God rescued Lot from Sodom before the judgment came. God sends out us to rescue the sinners before judgment comes. He's sending us to go out and to rescue them. In Matthew, in Matthew 28, our call as believers is not to stay in the nice warm house, not to bury our head in the sand, to realize judgment is coming, and we go out and we tell everyone, judgment's coming. In Matthew 28, here's our marching orders. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go tell them about me, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in Mark 16. And he said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. There's our marching orders. We're not to bury our heads in the sand. We're not to stay in the safe, warm house. We're to go out. We're to go out and let God use us to rescue those people before judgment comes. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Listen, I wish God would have chosen angels to tell the gospel message. They would have done a better job, but he chose us, his people, to go out and rescue those before judgment comes. He wants to use you and me to go out. It's going to take courage. Lot was a man of courage, we saw. He went out of the house, of the place of safety, to go out to warn them, don't do this, judgment is coming. He was a man of courage, and we are going to need courage to tell this message. We're going to need courage. Now listen, you do not need a theological education to tell the gospel message. You don't have to rationalize and reason somebody in the kingdom. Only God saves people. We just tell them the story. You don't have to be a theologian. What happened to you? How did you come to know Christ? How did you meet him? How did you get saved? Tell your story. You don't have to be a theologian to do it. Just tell the story. Acts 24, Paul is telling the story to Felix and Drusilla. Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, that was part of the message. Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. And all he wanted was money to be how Paul released from prison. He didn't care. But part of the message was the courage to tell people, listen, judgment's coming. Turn from the wrath of God and be saved. And you don't have to be a theologian. Just tell them. And Lot was encouraged to take as many with him before the judgment finally came. God is encouraging us to take as many as we can with us before judgment comes. How many can we take? How many friends and families we take the gospel message out will turn by faith and trust Christ as our Savior? We need to have courage. We need to bring as many with us as we possibly can. Psalm 126 says, He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. We've got to go out and tell this message. 
We've got to tell them that judgment is coming. We are the one that God is sending out to, to rescue sinners before the judgment comes. It's us, you and me, not just the pastors, us, his people. Abraham prayed and Lot was delivered. And I say, pray, pray, pray for Medical Lake. Pray for the West Plains. Pray that God would save people. Pray, 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 intercede for us. And God gave mercy and grace to Lot for Abraham's sake. He gives grace and mercy to believers for his name's sake. Ephesians chapter two, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. God gives grace for his glory to us. But we have to tell them the message. God sends us out to rescue sinners before the judgment comes. Notice also that God brought destruction only after Lot reached the safe of, a place of safety. Only after he was delivered. I believe the Bible teaches a pre-tribulation wrath. Now, some of us have a disagreement about, uh, we believe that we're, we're delivered from the wrath of God. And so some say the wrath of God starts in the middle of the tribulation. I think the wrath of God starts at the beginning of the tribulation, right at the very beginning. So I believe in a pre-tribulation wrath that God is going to remove his people before judgment comes. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, as we go out, some will heed God's call. Some will listen to it and others won't. And they'll just give evidence that they are, they are wicked and damned and, and gonna fall under God's judgment. Some will believe, some won't. Just like Lot's wife, she was given a God offered salvation and she rejected it. John chapter five, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Some are gonna believe. So we take the message out. God sends us out to rescue sinners before his judgment comes. Actually, do you know Jesus told people to remember Lot's wife. He specifically used that term. And it's in reference to his second coming and the judgment that's going to come upon the world. It's recorded in Luke chapter 17. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, so in the same way, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. In other words, he was brought to safety. Judgment came. So will it be on the day when the son of man is revealed on that day. Let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in his house, not come down to take them away. In other words, your valuables are not more important than your own salvation. And likewise, let the one who was in the field, not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. When you are warned that destruction is coming, remember Lot's wife. Don't turn back because you will give evidence that you love that which you are fleeing from more than the one who is rescuing you. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. So that is the question for us today. Are you saved? Judgment is coming. It is here already. Are you saved? Have you trusted Christ alone for salvation? Are you, are you trusting him and not what you can do, pulling your own hair up and saving yourself from drowning? No, you need to be saved from the outside, not from within. Are you saved today? Do you know Christ as your savior? 
Or are you, lo- are you like Lot's wife? You love this present world and you will perish with this present world. Are you saved? Secondly, if you're saved today, we have to understand God has chosen to send us out there from this place of safety to go out there and to rescue sinners before his judgment comes. Will you with me go on this great adventure of rescuing people before the judgment of God comes? You and I, average people, going out telling others all about Jesus, the story that you and I know so well. You don't need to be a theologian. You don't have 14 points to convince them. God will convince them of the truth. You just tell the story. Our job is to rescue the perishing. God uses us with his gospel message He will rescue those people who turn by faith to that message and believe and are saved from the wrath and the judgment that's coming. He's using us to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We are daunted at this task. Somehow we've got into our mind that we have to have all the right answers to talk to people about Jesus. And if we don't have the right answers, I'm not going to talk. It's not that. You're the one who saves them, Father. You just told us to go out and tell them. Tell them the gospel story. Tell them that you sent your son into the world. Tell them that your son took our sins upon himself. He became our substitutionary sacrifice. That he was killed, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, that he promises to come back again and reign in glory out of Jerusalem from the throne of David. Oh, Father, it's the glorious gospel story. Give us the courage like like Lot to go out of this place of safety and to tell others, judgment is coming. Turn, believe, follow me. I'll show you the God who saves. Would you only believe? Father, thank you for giving us this great task, this great adventure. And while we're on it, you are with us. And by your spirit, you will redeem people. And we thank you for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.